So we're finishing this summer series that we've been doing on the life of David, and I've, I've really enjoyed it. Um, how many have enjoyed the reading plan? You've gone through First and Second Samuel. I think a lot of us have been doing that, getting reacquainted with David and how God used him and, and how he was a man after God's heart. One of my favorite things about David is God said he's a man after his own heart, and yet David failed greatly. That comforts me. I don't know about you, but I know when I fail, I still want to be a man after God's heart, and I know you do too. And I think God's drawn us into that. And David's famous for a lot of things. I mean, he's famous for killing Goliath, right? He's famous for being a king, a warrior. But I think the thing that David might be most famous for, and I think in heaven he would be pleased to hear this, that he was a worshiper of God, that he truly worshiped God, that his life was about worship to him. And so today we're going to conclude with David the worshiper and what we can glean from his life and, and have, have a worshiper heart, a worshiper's heart in each one of our lives. And not just a Sunday thing, but a daily, moment by moment heart that's, that's tuned in to God. So on your notes, what is worship? Worship is ascribing worth and value to something or someone. And it actually comes from this old English word called worthship, and it, it morphed over a period of time. So when you ascribe worth and value to something or someone, that's worship, worthship. Keep that in mind. Second thing I want you to write down is this. We were created for worship. God created us for worship. In Isaiah 45, God talks about bringing the people whom he's created for his glory to him. And so we, you were created for God's glory. You were created to bring worship to God. And sometimes I think when people are unfamiliar with, with God or they're, they're dabbling their toes, so to speak, into the church and, and Jesus, why does God need me to worship him? Is he a narcissist, something like that? Not at all. The greatest gift God could give you and I was to create us with a longing to connect with him, to create us, to connect us with the ultimate person, the ultimate being is the creator of the universe. And so to create us, to have a desire to worship him, being created to worship him was such a great thing that God gave to us. That's where we find true joy, lasting joy. God's a God of joy. I don't know if you know this, but sometimes people get a warped idea about who God is, that he's some angry, far-off being or whatever. God is the most joyful being in all the universe, and he invites us as we worship him and ascribe value to him to enter into that joy. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20 is probably one of the best uh, Christ, the supremacy of Christ verses in all of the Bible about who Jesus is. And it says in there that we were created by Jesus and for Jesus, and because of him, all things exist. Like we're held together because of Jesus. You were created by him and for him. That's the reason that you exist. And the quicker you and I understand that we were created by God and for God, the, the, the more joyful and peaceful lives we will lead. Because anything other than that is not going to lead you to true joy. It's not going to lead us to true, true peace. When the Bible talks about 
idolatry. You know, if you read, reading through the Old Testament, over and over and over, God told the children of Israel, don't entertain the foreign gods of the lands that around you, of the peoples around you. I'm your God. You know, there's one God and worship me and me alone. Don't make idols. And all of that that is found so much in the Old Testament where they would worship pieces of rock, statues, wood carvings. And we may think as we read that, that I don't do that. I wouldn't bow down to, to some idol. Well, for us, I think now it's the idols of the heart. And, and to know whether God is getting the best of my worship is ask yourself the question, where do I find my self-worth and self-esteem from? Where do I find my purpose? If it's anything other than God, then that whatever comes to mind there becomes your functioning God, becomes who you're, you're worshiping, and that's idolatry. And God wants us to have our minds and hearts fixed upon him, not money and possessions and things and people, but to have our hearts oriented towards him so that we can truly live the kind of life that he has for us. So I would ask yourself the question. I asked myself the question all week as I was preparing, who or what is getting the best of my affection? Who or what is getting the best of my attention, my time? It's more than a Sunday thing. Get that in our hearts this morning. Worshiping God, being a worshiper is so much more than just a Sunday thing. It's 24-7 in how we live. We were pre-wired by God to worship him. And so it's not a question of if I'm gonna worship, it's who or what am I ultimately going to worship? And then thirdly, worship is a lifestyle. You can write that down. Worship is a lifestyle. Colossians 3, 24 and 25 says, whatever you do, work as unto the Lord. So your job, as mundane as it might feel sometimes, can be offered to worship as worship to God. Whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, do to the glory of God. Those are pretty ordinary things if you think about it, eating and drinking and work and maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and changing diapers all day long and wiping boogers and all the things that you do all day long and you think, could this be offered as worship? It is. As you do that unto the Lord and say, God, thank you for my children. God, thank you that they're growing. Thank you that I get to participate and be with them. Whatever season or stage or where you're at in life, all of that can be offered to worship. And the thing I love about that is ordinary things become extraordinary when I see them as acts of worship. Your job, whatever it is that seems ordinary or maybe even insignificant, becomes significant when I offer it to God as worship. Um, an author, pastor, teacher that I really admire is a guy named John Piper. And he coined a phrase that kind of marks all of his ministry, all of what he wants, um, his books and his thoughts and his teachings to resonate in people is this. He says, God is most glorified when I am most satisfied in him. God gets the most glory when I am finding the sat my satisfaction in life from him. Now, that means we do find satisfaction from his gifts, but we thank him for the gifts. We don't worship the gift. We worship the giver of the gifts. 
So God's most glorified when we're satisfied in him. Pursue satisfaction in God. And the next, worship is also expressive. Worship is expressive. It's, a, it's an outward expression of an inward reality. When, when we express outwardly what's going on inside our hearts, that's worship. And it's an expression of worship. There's several ways, both privately and corporately, that we can express worship to God. First of all, through music. Psalm 150 says, make music to the Lord using stringed instruments. Bang in the drums, Steve Walker, thank you. That's as worship to the Lord. Bang the drums, play the stringed instruments, play whatever it is to, to the glory of God. Make you know, music unto the Lord. Music's powerful. I like all kinds of music. I'm very, just depends if something makes me groove a little bit. I, I like it. Like it, it just depends on if, if it moves my heart or not. There's certain types of music I can't stand. I'm sure you feel the same way, right? But every generation thinks their music is the best, right? You know, whatever era you grew up in, that's the best music, and it'll never, ever be topped. But truth is, there's no such thing as Christian music. Did you know that? There's only Christian lyrics. Music itself is not necessarily Christian. Music is, is neutral. It's the lyrics, it's the, the, the spirit behind the music that makes it Christian. And so I, I think, you know, about the power of music and, and why we worship together on a weekly basis and, 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 and worship privately. Music moves our hearts. I remember before I was a Christian, I always loved music, but I wasn't raised in a Christian home, so you know, I listened to all kinds of music. I remember one time listening um, to Eric Clapton play the guitar, and I, maybe some of you have no clue who he is, but I'm dating myself, but Eric Clapton was playing this little melody on this ballad that he did. There was no lyrics, no nothing. I started crying just to the sound of the music, and I, I look back on that, and I realized music is super powerful. It's a gift from God to move the soul. It's a gift from God to orientate our hearts unto him. And so we also express worship to God through singing. We're to sing to the Lord a new song. Sing from, from your heart to God. And so whether you're good at singing or not, I'm a horrible singer. But I'll sing. I sing tear it up in the shower, right? Or when I'm driving by myself. I'll belt it out because I want it to come from my heart. God gave you a voice to sing and to express worship to him. So it doesn't matter whether you can hold a tune. That's the beauty of worshiping together with a couple hundred people. No one can hear you. So you just sing away. Maybe the person next to you, but sing loud. I love that. Me and Bradley uh, were talking this morning. This church is a worshipful church. There is people sing, and that's a mark of a church that's maturing to sing to the Lord corporately. And then next, we express our, our worship to God through thankfulness. Gratefulness. We're to come to the Lord, before the Lord in song and with thankfulness in our heart, the psalm says. Gratefulness is an act of worship. To thank God for who he is, to thank God for, for what he's done and all the blessings that are in our lives, that's an act of worship. Ungratefulness is the exact opposite of worship. 
But I'll tell you this. Maybe you're in a season where life hasn't gone the way you wanted it to go. If the only thing God had ever done for you was send his son to come and die for you, to rescue you, to give you eternal life, that's it. That's more than enough to be thankful for on a daily basis. That everyone in here who trusts in Jesus, and we're going to live with him for all eternity. Though we die, we live, Jesus said. And then another way that we express worship to God is through raising our hands. If you could leave that slide up just for a minute, the raising of hands. So you see it during our worship service. There's people that are raising their hands, and you think, well, well, how is that an expression of worship? Well, I saw this firsthand yesterday at the horseshoe tournament. Somebody's little toddler went like this, hold me, to their parent, hold you. I don't know why it's always hold you, but hold me. And that is that act of, of childlike humility. It's a humility before God to just say, God, here's my hands. Here I am. I have nothing, but in you, I have everything. I remember the first time I walked into church, not being raised in church. I walked into a church, and and they were hooting and hollering and tambourine banging, and this was like in the early 90s, so I thought, this is pretty rocking. This is cool. But why is everybody raising their hands? Do they all have questions? Does the guy leading not know? Like, is he going to stop? And yes, can I help you? Can I help? I didn't know what it was until I read the Bible and realized that expressing worship to God was the raising of hands, clapping. Man, when we clap, we give applause for somebody. We're acknowledging something good about them. We're thankful for them. How much more do we clap our hands for the Almighty? And then also through bowing and kneeling and reverence. And I would say, in your private times of prayer and Bible reading, if you're physically able to get into a posture of humility before God, that's a good thing. There's something about just bending the knee and saying, God, I I bow before you. I bow my knee before you. I confess that you're Lord. And I I need you. And and even in a a posture of bowing, I know we don't have the greatest floor for something like that, but maybe you were raised in a church where they had pews that had the kneelers, right? And I remember going on Christmas and Easter and they would bring the kneelers. I was thankful for those kneelers, the knee pads, right? Because it was stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down and, and all of that. But there's, don't miss, if you were raised in a church that did that, don't miss the ultimate heart that started something like that. It's to, to be reverent towards God, to be humble. God meets us when we're humble before him. A humble and contrite heart, he will never push away, ever. And then worship is a means and evidence of being filled with the Spirit. It's a means and an evidence of being filled with the Spirit. In the book of Ephesians, Paul tells the church at Ephesus He says, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, rather be filled with the Spirit. And so the obvious illustration he's giving there, when someone is drunk with wine, the wine is controlling their behavior. It's it's directing, bringing down the inhibitions a little bit, and it's directing, um, you know, their thoughts or whatever. He's saying, when you're filled with the Spirit, let the Spirit control you. Let the Spirit direct your, your life, let the Spirit direct you. And he says, this is how you do it. He says, sing to one another 
psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart with gratefulness and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's amazing that submission to one another is a, is a means and act of being filled with God's spirit, being controlled. And so it's both an evidence and a means of letting the Holy Spirit fill our lives because we get, some of us are tired right now. Some of you are on the verge of burnout. And I can tell you what you need more than anything is to be refilled with the Spirit. You get poured out, you need to get poured back in. Being filled with the Spirit is not a one-time experience. It's a daily thing. We get poured out, we go back to Him, and we sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, make melody in our heart, let Him fill us back up with His truth and who He is. We need that. So, what is the heart of a worshiper? That was like a little background from the Psalms of what worship is. What is the heart of a worshiper? You find it in 2 Samuel 6, a story about David, where David, the, the, the children of Israel had the, the Ark of the Covenant was stolen by their enemies. And the Ark was, you know, the big gold chest, the Holy of Holies, the mercy seat had the two angels on top of it. And when they opened it up, inside was, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, uh, was the golden jar of manna. And manna was how God supernaturally fed the children of Israel as they wandered in the desert for, for 40 years. And inside was also Aaron's staff. And Aaron was Moses' right-hand man, right? And then it had the, the, the tablets that contained the commandments of God were inside the ark. So the enemies of Israel come and plunder the ark. Well, that ark meant everything to worship f- for the Israelites, right? They had the tabernacle, tab- tabernacle in the wilderness that moved with the children of Israel, but they, when God said move, they would move, but they brought that with them wherever they went. It was represented the presence of God with them. And ultimately, David and then Solomon built the temple, right? And so it stayed permanent there. There was only one time in the Old Testament do you see that the tabernacle stayed for a significant period of time. It stayed in, in Shiloh for 365 years, and then it went to Jerusalem. So the enemies of Israel had, had taken the ark, and David and his army went and got it back. And so they're bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. David is pumped. David is fired up that this ark that represented the presence of God and the worship to God to the Israelites was coming back to Jerusalem. There's a lot more in that story. I just want to highlight David's worship. And I would say this. You could write this down. The heart of a worshiper is unafraid to be expressive. The heart of a worshiper, and we see this in David, is unafraid to express worship. It says that David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So he danced before the Lord with all his might. There's a a Hebrew word called halal, and where you get the word hallelujah from, right? Halal is... Hallelujah means 10,000 praises. Halal, as a Hebrew word, is the number one word that David 
uses in the Psalms for praise and worship to God. And halal literally means to appear foolish, to appear clamorously foolish as you express your worship to God. Now, us Americans are going, what? Like, my hand's... I do one of these, man, I'm expressing my worship, right? I mean, we're, we're conservative when it comes to thinking about ex- expressing our worship. And yet I was thinking, like, think about in the world outside of America, soccer. People go nuts at the World Cup. They yell and they scream and they paint their face and, and it's just yelling all the time and just watching a ball kind of go back and forth and a little bit here and yeah, woo. And I mean, but they're nuts for it, right? When we're in the Dominican, twice we've got to go to a professional uh, baseball game. And Dominican fans, when it comes to baseball, make American, the major league fans, look like we're at a funeral. Like they're just banging a drum the whole time. They yell on every pitch, screaming. And, and you just, we sit there and Yay, team, you know, I mean, compared to what they do. Think of the NFL. Football season's around the corner. Unbelievable. But if you think about the NFL, think about, like, the Oakland Raiders. Think of, oh, sorry. Think about a a physical, oh. Oh, boo. (laughs) This isn't an airplane. There's not those bags in front of you. I'm sorry. Um, Okay. Um, I went too far. But the black hole, they dress up and they wear all these crazy stuff. They look kind of foolish, don't they? Especially Broncos fans compared to them. Like, they look kind of foolish. You go to a Bronco game, people are yelling and screaming. How about Cleveland and the dog pound? And they actually put dog heads on in the end zone. And, oh, woof, 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 woof. Does that appear a little foolish? But yet, we laugh at that. But if somebody wants to express their worship, to the one who's truly worthy of it in an expressive way, in a halal-type praise, we go, whoa, what are you doing? Slow down here. And yet, that happened to David. When he danced before the Lord with all his might, his wife, Michal, despised him for it. It says she was embarrassed by watching David appear foolishly clamorous in his dancing before the Lord. It made me think, When is it possible for you and I to feel despised for our worship to God? Somebody's embarrassed for us when we worship the Lord. One might simply be when you're tempted to disobey God. When you're tempted to do something against what you know is God's will by somebody. It could be a shady business deal. And just, oh, come on, we'll make a lot of money, it's okay. You can give to your church, you could do, you know, whatever, justify something. And you say, no, I'm not going to to do that. Do you know that's an act of worship? Obedience is an act of worship. But that person who you're saying no to, whatever it is where you know you're going against what God would have you do, um, they're going to be embarrassed of you. They're going to despise you. Or when we express, express our worship publicly, um, I mentioned, I don't know how he got in the message two weeks in a row, but Tim Tebow, remember when he would Tebow, the Tebowing thing was a phenomenon, he'd get in his little kneeling posture and they made bumper stickers and all kinds of slides about Tebow, all he wanted to do was bring glory to God every time he did something before and after the game and, and he got ridiculed 
for Tebowing, right? He felt what that, that feels like. So we tend to be too self-conscious when it comes to what others think of us when it comes to giving our worship to God. The second thing about a, the heart of a worshiper is the heart of a worshiper is truly focused on God. Truly focused on God. David, several times in the Psalms, uses this phrase. He says, magnify the Lord. And you think, what does that mean? Because magnification has two meanings. There's first the magnification of something that's very, very small that maybe even the human eye can't see. And you put something, an amoeba or whatever, under a microscope, whoop, there it is. You can see it. it the, the, magne- the microscope brings something small into focus. Did you ever, when you were little, take like a magnifying glass and, and like burn bugs and stuff like that? <laughs> Who did that? I want to see. Okay, thank you. The Lord forgives you. Um, <laughs> but there's that type of magnification, but then there's the magnification of a telescope that looks out into the solar system, the stars and the planets, and it takes something that the human eye from here could never see, but it takes something so huge that seems so distant, so far away, and brings it into focus. That's the magnification that David is talking about. When you focus on God, you bring a God who, who seems to some people very distant. You bring him close. You bring him near. says that when, when Michal told, despised David, he retorted to her, I was dancing before the Lord. In other words, I wasn't dancing for you or anybody else. He was doing the happy dance. Do you do the happy dance when you get good news? You got a raise, and it's just break it down, or, or something good happened, you got good news, and it's just a happy thing. He was just really laying it out, that he was happy that the ark of the Lord was coming back, and there was a victory. And it's not about drawing attention to ourselves, but it's expressing gratefulness and praise and worship to God. Now, you may have been in worship services, depending upon your church background, where um, people are expressing worship, and it might make you feel uncomfortable. It might have made you feel right at home. And it, it both are I- I- irrelevant, and what I'm trying to say is that, you know, I, I remember going to a, uh, a church, like a revival thing, where they were having worship service and prayer nightly for like nine months, they called it a revival. We, we don't hear that word a whole lot anymore, but a revival was when God's reviving the church and people who are believers are, are being reunited in their, in their relationship to God. And in this particular place, one night they were sharing about a guy who was from Korea. And they were praying over him one night, and all of a sudden he like roared like a lion. <laughs> That'd be weird, right? If that happened in here, you heard the person next to you roaring like a lion, you'd be like, uh, okay. Um, but for this guy, they asked him, what happened to you? And he said, as I was being prayed for, the spirit of Jesus told me that my people had been enslaved to the devil in false gods for all these years, but the lion of the tribe of Judah was coming to set my people free. And so he just roared like a lion. 
that's kind of cool. Like, I don't have a problem with that. And so there is a give and take that we don't want to be judging someone's worship to God. We don't know. They may have just got the news that they're free from cancer or good news here or there. It's good to shout praise to God. It's good to express praise to God. I mean, we don't get caught up into this, well, people are going to be looking at me. Who cares? We're, we're, it's an audience of one. But we're not doing it to draw attention to ourselves either. So there's the give and take there. And then lastly, the heart of a worshiper is longing to grow deeper in the Lord. David said, yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. Worship is, is focusing on God. And when we focus on God, we're desiring to grow in the Lord, to go deeper our Sundays are, are, are put together purposefully and intentionally so that you will experience God through music, through teaching, through fellowship, through prayer, that your kids would feel the same thing. This is intentional to come together to experience God. It's not about our team showing off their talent, although I'm so thankful for, the, for God's gift of the talent that we have as a worship team. But it's not about them. And it's not about being entertained. It's about positioning ourselves to experience the Spirit of God so that we grow deeper in Him and we walk out of here more ready to live the gospel to the world around us. That's really, that's why you need to be here as much as possible on Sundays, corporately. The book of Hebrews says, don't forsake the fellowship. Don't forsake the coming together as some are in the habit of doing. The more we're together, the more we're going to grow in our relationship with God and one another. I want to give you a very elementary illustration to keep with you, okay? You've been wondering, why does he have a camping stove up here the whole time? Aha, there's a point. So if you can picture with me, picture with me that this camping stove that represents your heart, the stove itself, no wood in it, no fire, no nothing. That just is your heart. And the, the wood, when we put something to light on fire into a fireplace, kindling, so to speak, that wood represents the truth of who Jesus Christ is. That wood represents the truth of God's word. And so when you have your heart and the truth of God's word, and then I can't light a fire in here because then the sprinklers would go off and you'd be really mad. But let me make sure I get this. There you go. The, the flame of the Holy Spirit, he lights the truth of God's word. And when that fire begins to burn because there's, there's your heart, there's truth, there's the flame of the Holy Spirit to set that truth on fire, as that fire begins to get bigger and bigger, the flame and the heat, that's our worship to God. And the more truth you have in your heart, the more you know who God is, the bigger the fire is going to be. Here's what happens. This is so important. If we had a fire that goes for a little bit, that wood turns to little coals, right? And those coals turn orange hot. 
And those keep the flame going. You can just continue to add more, more wood. But if you take one of those little coals out of the fire and you set it out by itself, not near any of the other coals, what happens to it? Cools off. Then you can hold it and touch it and it's not going to do anything. But the cool part about a coal is if I grab it and I put it next to the other coals that are actually heated up, it immediately catches fire again. Let that be a picture in your mind of what corporate worship is about. When we get together, we're getting together with other people who are are gathering to worship Jesus and to experience the Spirit of God together. That's why, as best as possible, we're here regularly together. And your kids are in church together, and they're worshiping, and they're learning. And all of us together corporately are growing closer to Jesus. It's not about checking church off as a, as a duty or any of that kind of stuff. It's, man, I need this. I need to be around God's people. I need to be in worship. And then let God light you on fire because that's what he wants to do in each one of us. We're going to move into communion. We're going to close with communion. I can't think of a better way to close a message than communion on worship. When you think about communion... Think about two things. The word communion means common union. That all of us together, regardless of what language is our native language, regardless of what we look like, what we're built like, how much money we have, what's our background, you know what we have in common? It's Jesus. It's the communion table that we come together and that unifies us together. We care for one another. We worship him together. And then the word communion also means to commune. So when we take the bread and the cup, we're communing with Jesus. Just like he told his disciples, do this in remembrance of me as you take the bread and as you take the cup. And as David worshiped the Lord with all his might because of the Ark of the Covenant, he was in the way God related to the people of Israel through the temple, through the sacrifice, through all of that, Jesus comes in the new covenant and he's the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And so when we come and we commune with him and we recognize our common union, we draw close to Jesus. It's like that coal that gets away from the fire gets lit back up again. So we're gonna move into communion. What I want you to do is everybody... Make your way up to the two tables up here. Grab a piece of bread, grab a cup, take it back to your seats, and we'll take it together. As we take the bread and the juice together, let me invite anybody in this room that's unsure of your faith. You're unsure whether you've put your trust, your hope in Jesus Christ. And it really is so simple that a child can believe. But it's so profound that theologians have been talking about it forever as well. But childlike faith says, Lord, I believe that you died for me. Your body was broken. Your blood was shed so that I could have forgiveness and the promise of eternal life. I believe that you rose from the dead. I put my faith in you as my Savior. And then I want to give my life over to you and let you call the shots. I want to learn how to live by following you. My prayer is that's all of us in this room today. 
and that this is a reaffirmation as well for us as believers to say, thank you, Lord, for what you did. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus broke bread with his disciples and he lifted it up to heaven and he blessed it. And he told his disciples, he said, this body, this bread represents my body, which will be broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. After supper, Jesus took a cup of wine and he lifted it to heaven and he blessed it. And he said, this cup represents the blood of the new covenant. That the old covenant, the old ways of the sacrifices and all of that were done. He would be the sacrifice. The type and shadow of all of that was up to his death. And he said, now I'm going to be the sacrifice of sacrifices the new covenant in my blood. Drink in remembrance of me, he said. Let's take the cup. Lord, as we go from here today, we go with glad hearts, joyful hearts, worship-filled hearts for you. Lord, let us be a people who point others to you, in our humility, in our servanthood. God, that we're able to give a reason for the hope that's found in you. Lord, we can't explain every mystery and every this and that, but we can explain how you changed our lives and why we're hopeful in spite of the chaos around us. So fill your people fresh and new with your spirit today and we'll walk in your ways and bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.